You are listening to the 3CR podcast of Encyclopedia. Encyclopedia is broadcast live every Sunday from 2 p.m. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information, head to 3cr.org.au. Good afternoon and welcome to Encyclopedia on your Sunday afternoon broadcast. Uh, from 3CR Community Radio, we're on 855am, we're at 3CR Digital and we're at 3cr.org.au and broadcast out of the studios in Fitzroy here in Melbourne. Uh, thank you very much to Freedom of Species, the program before us. If you happen to be listening live on the radio, uh, if you're listening to the podcast or if you're uh, uh, listening to us uh, some other way, then do check out some of the other 3CR shows. There's a lot of good shows on 3CR, a um, lot of interesting uh, topics from people who are passionate, community members who are passionate about um, their particular niche. And that's, I think, what um, is really, you know, really makes community radio that we are broadcasting from niches, from um, unheard, often unheard uh, voices on topics that don't really get uh, a lot of airtime in the mainstream media otherwise. And on this show, we talk about drugs. Um, we talk about drugs because the mainstream media uh, have a tendency to talk about drugs in just about one way only. This, this sort of, um, uh, well, well, maybe a couple of ways. Uh, I can think um, the police seizure porn, uh, which is where uh, the police re- release a media release with a picture uh, and some quotes, picture of uh, of what drugs they've seized and some quotes of um, from police officers just talking about how they've, you know, made a smash in the drug demand and blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I kind of, that's one of the acceptable stories, but it's also one that if you notice, they keep doing it, but it seems that drug consumption doesn't go down. So blah, where does all that money go? What is it actually doing? I don't know, but you should be a little bit sus on that. And of course, the other acceptable drug narrative is the redemption narrative. Um, those who come forward after they've stopped using drugs to talk about their previous life of uh, decadence and devastation, um, you know, and, and, and how they escaped it and now are uh, all better. Um, and let me not um, also be condescending to those um, who, uh, who, who have decided that abstinence is the best for them. There are absolutely people out there who do not want to take drugs after they have taken drugs and people who decide not to take drugs in the first place. And there's nothing wrong with that. The point is it should be your choice and you should have the information to be able to make the choice that's best for you. And those choices might change throughout your life. I know that um, I was certainly somebody who probably took more things, um, especially a lot of alcohol, as Australians tend to do, and as many of us around the world tend to do uh, in my 20s, but I um, guess it's eased off a bit lately. And, and that's also a common uh, story I heard that's not often told um, because uh, we feel, I think a lot of people feel like they have to keep their drug use a little bit um, a little bit secret, a little bit hidden um, for fear of repercussions, uh, for fear of the effects that it might have on their career, um, and perhaps rightly so. In fact, it's something that I've been pondering lately a bit as well because I've been um, quite open about this topic, um, and maybe that hasn't been the best choice for me. I don't know, but I really think that it's important to be honest and to have open and honest conversations about these things. And we're not going to get anywhere. We're not going to solve any problems if we keep hiding, stigmatizing and relying on taboo uh, to manage our culture. So this is in psychedelia a program dedicated to talking all things drug, drugs. Um, you can subscribe to our podcast at the 3CR website via iTunes or Spotify, and you can also check out our YouTube channel uh, for more little bits and pieces from the show. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, questions, comments, uh, anything that you want to say, anything you want to pass on to us that you think maybe we should be looking at. Um, head to uh, find us on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook, or of course on YouTube. And of course, um, my name is Nick. Hi, <laughs> welcome. Uh, on the program this afternoon, we've got a um, a, a long interview that uh, Ash and I uh, conducted this week um, with some friends from the UK. Uh, they're involved in a project called People and Dance Floors, and the project began before COVID-19, but it's now taken on a slightly different uh, direction, um, looking at um, doing more or less exactly what I was just talking about, starting honest and open conversations about uh, drug use and, and not trying to hide these things, even though, um, as we'll hear shortly, that is something that they have uh, rubbed up against, especially as academics, especially as people who are, you know, at a university. So we'll hear from them, uh, from them shortly. Um, but before we get there, I want to give you some music. 
this one from New Zealand from our friends over the uh, over the over the ocean. Uh, this is from a uh, compilation album called Bridging the Gap, Volume One, and you can find it at loopcrew.bandcamp.com where you can purchase the album and check out more releases from Loop Recordings, which is a New Zealand uh, label. This uh, this song is Seek No More featuring Lady Six. I think that's how it's said. It's like L-A-D-I with a number six. Is that how you pronounce it? I'm going to say that. Uh, It's by 50 Hertz on Psychedelia. To get to where he got Can't explain the way the world changed The older that I got I guess it never stops Many men have climbed the gold ladder to the top To get to where he got Can't explain the way the world changed The older that I got I guess it never stops Many men have climbed the gold ladder to the top To get to where he got Can't explain the way the world changed The older that I got I guess it never To where we started No excuse, we make no mistake If we relate, participate wholehearted Sell yourself a goal Why I never know Blinded by the dark deceit of their laughter Temptation always follows you It's your choice to click or not to click on to The details of this game From the name of the fame Whatever it is you want to claim The details of the game From the name of the fame Whatever it is you want to claim See no more If we start with the heart, we're walking through that open door. The fame, whatever it is you want to claim. See no more. Open your mind and never keep no score. If we start with the heart, we're walking through that open door. The fame, whatever it is. With all these changes, we flip for a few pages. See how the gold is trying to rearrange us. Dirty deals, deceitful squeals of delight. Blinded by your vibe, what the light like. Gotta get it back, your control. Gotta get it back, take a hold of your soul. Gotta get it back, you will know. The shine of your mind, it'll glow. See no more, open your mind and never keep no score. If we start with the heart, we're walking through that open door. The fame, whatever it is you want to claim. See no more, open your mind and never keep no score. If we start with the heart, we're walking through that open door. The fame, whatever it is you want to claim. Many men have climbed the gold ladder to the top To get to where he got Can't explain the way the world changed The older that I got I guess it never stops Many men have climbed the gold ladder to the top To get to where he got Can't explain the way the world changed The older that I got I guess it never stops You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, Melbourne's voice of dissent. 3CR Community Radio, 855 on the AM dial, streaming live at 3cr.org.au 
or on 3CR Digital in Melbourne. So this is in the middle of the pandemic where this billionaire is suing the Pentagon for a military contract for what most people think is the place that you order books from. It's a very interesting case study in pulling out the different threads of militarism and how it can really be embedded in so many aspects of our lives that we don't even realize that when we order something from Amazon that we're putting workers' lives at risk and that we're supporting what is becoming an increasingly important actor in the military industrial complex. Exposing that to people, I think, is very important. People will care if they understand that this is how things are all interconnected and linked. It's surfacing that information, it's making that accessible and making it relevant for people's lives. And I think that is another opportunity that COVID-19 really presents to us is that we are all connected and these structures are all connected. We can see that much more clearly now than we could before. 3CR, your station in struggle and solidarity. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. If you're wrestling with feelings of anxiety, worry and depression, or finding the current social isolation measures hard to deal with, we would like to encourage you to call Wellways Helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities, as well as their family, friends and carers. We're here to talk if you are seeking information about mental health or mental health services or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wellways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Wellways Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. If you feel it would be helpful to talk to someone about these issues during this difficult period, please call Wellways Helpline on 1300 111500. That's 1300 111500. Wellways supports 3CR. You're listening to Psychedelia. Do you support policies, programs and practices that aim to educate people on how drugs work, where risks lie and how to avoid them? Do you believe that responses to drug use should be informed by evidence-based approaches while considering the reality of drug use in Australia? Join Harm Reduction Australia at harmreductionaustralia, all one word, .org.au. Support a better future for drug policy in Australia. My name is Nick and on the Zoom panels around me at the moment are, well, first, Ash. How are you going, Ash? Hiya. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, crazy busy, as, as always. And uh, from the UK, we have Julia Zampini, uh, who is a senior lecturer in criminology at, uh, I just wrote university. (laughs) It was Liverpool? Was it Liverpool? That's great. It's University University of Greenwich. Greenwich. In London, yeah. Hi, everyone. (laughs) And we've got uh, Eve um, Book-Matthews, a lecturer at uh, Coventry University, and Anthony Killick, uh, who is Media Communications and Culture at Liverpool John John Moores University. Welcome, everyone. Hello. Thank you. Thanks for having us. No problem. Well, thanks for um, uh, agreeing to speak with us today. So you're all uh, part of a a team working on a project called uh, People and Dance Floors, um, which has uh, coming out very soon, I believe, uh, over summer. So it must be only a couple of months away, um, a 25-minute documentary. Um, So tell us a little bit about the project, People and Dance Floors, just a, a brief overview for our listeners. Sure. So I go. So I go for it. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> cool. So um, people and dance floors is a is kind of like a passion project for me, which started um, somewhere in 2018, and um, it was all about providing a platform for people to talk about their relationship with dance floors and drugs in a way that was uh, more open and honest and complex and personal than the kind of current narratives that we have around the Salau. Um, and that's, you know, that's covering all sorts, including, um, uh, you know, sort of like um, mainstream media narratives as well as kind of academic narratives as well. So it's not just, uh, you know, kind of mainstream media, but it's also some of the academic narratives that tend to be quite oriented towards either kind of harm reduction, but in a medicalized sense or, 
you know, there's a lot of pathologizing and we just felt like there needed to be some space for a person-centered narrative that wasn't going in only one direction. So that's how mm-hmm. it sort of started. Um, and we thought the best way to do that was to make a little film because film allows for that person to be, you know, in the front talking to the audience directly rather than being, let's say, mediated by, you know, an academic like myself or, um, I, I don't know, anybody else that is sort of writing the narrative for them or interpreting the narrative or kind of, you know, uh, putting putting words in their mouth, if, uh, if you will. So, yeah, so I think that's kind of the, I think that was the main aim the project. Uh, it's the kind of aim that we love to hear because, as you say, it is a it, it is somewhere where we often get spoken for rather than spoken to. But there is um there is a reason for that, I guess, and it's because it is an issue that's um quite it's quite stigmatized, it's quite taboo to talk about it, and it can have repercussions uh, for people, especially uh, in their professional careers. So, how how have you found it reaching out to people? Have people been comfortable to talk? Have there only been certain segments that wanted to talk? Yeah, that's Eve. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No, I was, I was just gonna um, jump in on that one. The there's there's definitely kind of a, a vocal activist kind of movement within recreational drug users that are kind of willing to 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 um, I guess legitimise themselves and and shine that light on them. We did offer, and the documentary does offer um, offered uh, an anonymous kind of participation. So whether that's kind of like uh, just spoken word or in. Uh, being spoken by other people but we we did kind of attract or were able to capture some of that uh, through kind of anonymous methods as well so even though it's documentary and it's forward facing and a lot of it's kind of filmed there is kind of elements where people did choose not to disclose their identities their professions or some uh, kind of um, elements to that and I think it's something that we've all had an internal kind of contest or, or yeah. uh, conversation okay. with ourselves about as well, as much as what we're asking of participants and actually what what we ourselves feel. Um, and we've we've had some quite complex um, conversations around, you know, identities mainly and, and which step up and step out on which we hide a lot of the time. It is a really strange one because as, uh, you know, someone that is an academic, don't you know, it's kind of like coming from a very working class background, as I do, a bit of a struggle to negotiate those two different things in and of itself. And then when you add in a bunch of other activities that are considered to be illicit or disrespectable or disreputable or anything like that, um, you get another another little sort of identity conflict there. Um, and at the same time, it's it's a huge part of me going to these kinds of spaces and engaging with these sorts of activities, as it is with all of my friends as well. Um, I found myself in a rave once or dancing around with like a physicist, you know, a solicitor, a nurse, all very respectable people on paper who are all on one kind of illegal drug or another. And they're all going to be going back to work on Monday morning, just like everyone who's in the pubs right now. Um, so I don't really see why one of those activities should be considered as terrible, socially speaking, as it is, um, especially since we know that alcohol is actually the biggest uh, socially harmful drug uh, out there and it's, uh, it's legal. So it's a bit of a tricky one. And, it's been- and that's, why I, that's why I got involved in this project, I think, when Julia approached me. So, yeah. So you've just been pretty forthright with it with us there, Anthony. Um, is this something that you all had to discuss with your um, institutions <laughs> before, or, or are you not so forthright in the documentary? Like, how, does, how do you negotiate that with 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 those other considerations, like your academic career? Uh, yeah, uh, just briefly for me, I'll be honest, I am still quite uh, apprehensive about all of this. <laughs> but um, that's 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 the point of it, isn't it? Is that you you are prepared to make that leap. Um, and there is there is a social function to the thing that we're doing, which is to try. And I'm sure Julie will be able to give you a bit more of this in terms of the, the, the impetus of the project in general is to try and shine a bit more of a light on those things that I've just said and try to uh, facilitate some changes um, to how we view these sorts of things. So, 
Yeah, it's like the typical, if not you, who, if not now, when sort of thing, whereby, you know, we actually, okay, so I should, I should premise this by saying that in the documentary, so the documentary was sort of uh, financed by my university, by my institution. So I made the pragmatic decision not to be in the film talking about my own uh, drug use and, and relationships to dance floors, because I felt like um, it could be, it would be too risky because the university paid for the project and I was quite junior at the time and I didn't know, you know, whether it was uh, a wise decision. I had a discussion with um, other, pe- other people that were involved in the project at the time and we all agreed that, uh, you know, that should be the case, um, that I would kind of make a contribution, but it would be a written contribution rather than putting the camera on myself. And after that, I felt quite guilty in a way because I was like I'm you know I'm putting all these people you know in front of the camera to talk about their experiences to put their a face to a to a name and to an experience and I'm not doing that myself so and then I actually had a falling out with one of my project partners at the time uh, because he felt like it wasn't right and I was like you're right it isn't right it's not fair It's, it's fucking terrible and and you know as a result of that I've kind of come around to decide that that's not the way I want to go anymore and that I want to put myself out there more and I want to be honest. That's not to say that I had a conversation with my institution about it um, at all, because <laughs> I don't think I can. I can't, I can't, it's not something that it's, you know, it's, it's not, it's not allowed. So I'm hoping that, you know, that kind of thing will go under the radar and that my institution will either see something and not say anything or they won't, they just won't, won't see it at all. And that's, that's, that's my approach at the moment. So myself, well, all of us uh, have spent the summer writing uh, an academic article coming out as, as a coming out story, essentially, or as a coming out story where we also talk about our kind of identity conflict and contestation between different parts of our identity, as well as uh, the, kind of, the kind of conflict that was triggered by our involvement in, in the project. I mean, it's a pretty interesting time to be um, doing this project as well um, with uh, the uh, pandemic all across the world and um, different responses from different governments. Um, I mean, obviously, you've just had your summer, so you've had um, party season during summer. We've just uh, had five-kilometre bubble lockdowns and been going nowhere, but we'll be coming into our summer. Um, So it's interesting um, to hear uh, you guys also have a podcast, uh, which is available at peopleanddancefloors.com and talking a little bit about some of the the events that have been going on. So tell us a little bit about how COVID has affected um, events. I'll jump in first and then maybe Julia can can talk about the runaway. But I mean, in terms of the festival season, um, it was watching the dominoes just fall, really. Um, It was a really hard for for that. It's my my kind of main um, research area. So to watch that. And and at the beginning, I don't know if anybody remembers, there's so much uncertainty about we can pull this off. There was so much energy and drive. And I think it was Bolter Festival was one of the last to go. But everyone was just just holding out. No one was quite sure. But, you know, we was really looking forward to that as well. Um, and we're just watching it. Uh, me and, and some other colleagues outside of the project put together a very kind of um, quick questionnaire that, that's got over um, 800 responses now that just just asked, um, what are you missing about the, fest- the loss of the festival season? And have you, have you um, engaged with any of the online virtual festival stuff? But more importantly, what are you missing to try and capture some of that kind of cultural capital um but I, it was devastating it's absolutely devastating to to watch the summer and those drop away and also the, the crowd fund, funders have um saved a lot of the independent festivals but our larger ones are in difficulty our glastonbury is uh, in trouble um so that weighs heavily on me um so to see those spaces so the great thing one of the things i love about the people in dance Force project that it's looking at many spaces those dance floors for me my heart is for for festivals um but the clubs and the pubs and the industries that they're on they're on a survival basis at the minute and it feels very much like yeah something action i needed to feel like i was doing something to support um but that's just on festivals 
and I really fingers crossed for an Australian summer socially distanced safe dancing where you can get into a field or a desert you know Australia that that you can get some some of that community yeah, I, I mean, but it's it's interesting how these um these two issues are linked because I think uh, often when it comes to people who use drugs, we're, we're kind of framed in that way as people who use drugs rather than all the other things that we're doing, rather than these events, the cultural um, capital that they bring um, to, to the broader culture as well. Because, I mean, I know that there are um, things uh, across uh, Melbourne, uh, for example, in the art scene, uh, in the, even in the corporate corporate scene, like the, the corporate laser guys that do corporate laser stuff are from the festival scene. They're the ones that do the festival yeah. lasers. Immersive theatre, yeah. Yeah, exactly, um, and that's uh, you know that's part of that that stigmatizing um, uh, part of that um, stigmatizing relationship um, that it, it's often the drugs first and then everything else second. And I, I've seen a little bit of the news uh, out of the UK every now and then. Um, it's been a bit of a um, uh, th- there's been a lot of stories about how how bad the festivals are and how the festival or well not the festivals the events that have been going on the illegal Rave. raves the raves mm-hmm. <laughs> even that term illegal rave um, so tell us a little bit about the events that have been happening and what's well, been the going on panics. so basically I think somebody um, categorized it quite nicely um, uh, somebody said that there's, there's been three types of illegal raves going on in the UK. Uh, ones where you wouldn't hear about them because they're so like the people that organize them are so pro and so good at what they do and so connected that, you know, they would just kind of pass under the radar. So they're sort of for a select few and they're quite, you know, they're sort of networked and they're usually, I think they would cater to all, a bit older, slightly older people with money. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Then there's another kind of set of parties, which is the kind of, really young people, you know, with the big sound systems who are like into the sort of big parties, what what you call them, you probably call them crusty hippies uh, in the UK. And they do like the big parties and they obviously get into conflict with the police because the parties are quite big. They attract big numbers. They're a bit messy um, and, you know, that sort of thing. And then there's a third kind of party, which I think he he defined as the money grubbers. <laughs> so they're the ones that are trying to kind of get as many people in as possible in spaces that are not necessarily safe. I think I went to one of them. It was like, it was this really tiny, like it was a narrow boat on the canal. And they were, literally the boat felt so crowded that you could you just couldn't move. And I was like, how is this, you know, how are you kind of advertising this on, on social media? This is just ridiculous. So there's, you know, all, all of these three types of, of parties. And I think all of them to, you know, to different extents, there's been, you know, there's been loads of, uh, I, I would say, the deployment of police to control mm-hmm. and intervene upon raves has been, you know, severe over the summer. Um, but... I don't know. It's, you know, that's not to say that they've been able to stop every party from happening. Um, but of course, um, you know, the latest, um, you know, the latest measure has been the one of um, basically increasing penalties for both punters and, um, and um, you know, organizers. Um, so p- organizers could be fined up to 10 grand and punters could be fined up to 100 pounds. Uh, so, yeah. There was um, but where there's a will, there's a way. Oh and, yeah, and yeah. young people, yeah, no, where there's a will, there's a way, and, and young people, you, it, it's not just like Julie was saying, not just young people, but there, there's a gap and a necessity for these outbursts. Whether it's kind of like they've called everything rave, by the way, as well, in terms of what they're classing as, you know, um, large groupings or meetings of of um, people, but you're talking about a generation that aren't as at risk potentially from COVID. You're talking about folk that have, you know, in their, their 16s to 25s. Um, and they're getting, I don't know about your politicians, but they're getting very confused narratives, experience. I mean, if it's, it, there's almost this end of the world kind of mentality and you see these kind of outbursts because they're not getting all any security or safety or information from the state, from, from the nation. 
There's also a concerted effort on the part of uh, politicians uh, to displace some of their own blame for this whole fiasco onto pretty much any group that they can find. Um, In this case, it's young people. So the UK has recently stepped up its lockdown, having just sort of eased back towards some kind of normality. The cases rose um, just as the schools were opening and the university students were coming back and surprise, surprise, cases went up. Um, And so Matt Hancock, the health secretary, went on TV a couple of weeks back to tell young people that attending illegal raves would be the same thing as murdering their grandparents because they would come back from illegal rave and then pass the COVID onto their grandparents. And that was kind of the starting gun for this whole raft of media types to come out and start saying that young people were really the cause of this spike in cases, regardless of the fact that in Liverpool, where I live, there are 200,000 to 500,000 people entering the main city centre shopping space on any given weekend. And trying to police that, as any any copper will tell you, trying to police those people is uh, an, an act of almost futility in and of itself before even thinking about trying to control a virus. So the idea that it's not being transmitted in those spaces is just pure bunkum. And the idea that mm. it is being transmitted in illegal raves and only there is obviously mm. equally equally nonsense so so yeah yeah but it's like it's basically like okay what are acceptable economic and social activities going to the pub is acceptable going shopping is acceptable but going to partying whether it's within a club a licensed venue or or whether it's an illegal party or kind of like grassroots organized uh you know that's not acceptable fun that doesn't touch that doesn't appear to touch the majority of the population the kind of you know, the kind of pub going, shopping going people. And therefore, that's the kind of focus of our, you know, scare campaigns, of our kind of moral panics and whatnot. And of course, you know, clubs are a massive industry. The nighttime economy is a massive industry in the UK, which is, you know, slowly crumbling, despite the fact that the government has announced kind of help, uh, you know, um, targeted at sort of cultural industries uh, and nightclubs. And those sorts of venues, um, that's in in reality hasn't been enough uh, to kind of prevent the kind of slow, uh, you know, closing down of spaces, especially small venues. So, so yeah, that's that's the the, the current situation that we're in now. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's, sorry, go on. No, I was just saying that they're, the small venues are trying. They're trying to, you know, they, they've got socially distanced um, tables, um, table service with, you know, they've got sort of banging tunes in the background. And then you kind of sit at a table with a maximum of six people. And it's like, you know, sort of early afternoon in, into the evening. And they're doing kind of food with like maybe uh, they've got a few food trucks or something. And that's kind of it's sort of viable in a way just to keep them afloat over the summer. But, you know, at the moment, it, soon enough, it's going to be like, I mean, at the weekend, it was like 14 degrees in the day. So that's not, mm. you know, it's obviously not feasible for a small venues to continue. And you, kind can't, of being you can't dance. Stuff. You can't yeah, dance. You can't. You can't yeah. There are no kind of spaces or, or ability. It is that you can't dance. And the sad thing for me is is harm reduction and pill testing. You can't have in these unofficial raves, these these um, informal gatherings, whatever else. That they've completely dropped. You know, they're an emerging. You know, yeah. the potential we're kind of getting with them, but we're not able to do any of that in these kind of pop up. Um, yeah, expressions or yeah, pop up raves, but you can't dance, and that's you. You can't you can't socially distance that. You can't socially distance. Yeah, a mosh pit. You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. ...independent community radio station and set up a recurring payment today. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe.
This is N Psychedelia on 3CR, and we're speaking with researchers Julia Zampini, Anthony Kalik, and Eve Buck Matthews, who work at various institutions in the United Kingdom. And they are leading the project People and Dance Floors, looking at narratives on drug taking. Julia, could you tell us some more about the sorts of stories you heard while making the doco? Um, so the rate, the way that we sort of ended up uh, kind of editing the documentary was was around sort of central themes that emerged across all the different people's narratives, and a big one was about the um, the significance of dance floors as spaces and as experiences in people's lives to be able to um, uh, have a, a sense of communal sharing. Uh, with strangers, with people that, you know, you, you normally wouldn't meet, but it seems to be a space that is welcoming to all. So even people who wouldn't normally feel welcomed, maybe because of the way they looked, maybe because of the way they spoke or, you know, for whatever reason, uh, felt like they could freely express themselves within the dance floor space. So that was something really important. And some people defined it as a source of like well-being, even therapeutic. So that was a big theme that I think emerged across all the different uh, participants' narratives. Um, another big theme was alcohol. <laughs> alcohol was a uh, very, very central to people's uh, experiences, in part because I think some people resented the fact that such a, a drug that was experienced often negatively by the individual was also a drug that was so widely available and almost glamour, um, glamorized, glamorized, glamorized in the culture. Um, and, you know, that people almost couldn't get away from. And they were like, you know, what is this? You know, my experiences with alcohol are often, not always, but often negative. Uh, you know, alcohol is the gateway drug for me to make stupid decisions, for example. And But yet, you know, it is the most widely available compared to other substances, which I find much more uh, positive and subtle and interesting in, in the way of experience, but are, but are considered to be uh, poisonous or, or or you know uh, uh, harmful. So that was that was another big theme. Um, and uh, um, yeah, there was definitely this dichotomy between well the 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 dance floor and the music scene that that. Um, suggested or encouraged um, other types of drugs, whether that's E or, or acid or, or all these different types of chemical dance floor versus the, the, the pub and the alcohol spaces. They were very much wanting to communicate this kind of essence of the, the drugs were facilitating a different type of community and a different form of connection, a quicker form, so a temporal quicker kind of um, connecting of people over kind of not just shared experiences, but a shared love of the music and also the kind of the, the chemical um, responses that people kind of had on, on, on drugs in those spaces. Um, yeah. It's worth and, saying uh, as well it. that when you go into these sorts of spaces like raves and, and you take drugs like that, um, in a way it has to, you have to come up with some kind of higher justification for it. So it's like, why do you go into these spaces? Is it some kind of community connection? Is it some kind of, I don't know, higher plane of consciousness that you're seeking? Is it just to dance and piss around and that kind of stuff? But there's always, you're backed into a corner from the beginning because people are always saying, well, why do you do this? And no one really says the same thing about people that go into pubs, for example. Is that that, that idea that this activity is so much more normalized and accepted than the other one to the extent that people are actually quite fearful in many respects of rave spaces and quite fearful of those kinds of substances and i don't think that's the basis for a sensible conversation to take place so that needs to alter as well and hopefully that's something that um we'll be doing well at least trying to contribute to with this project Eve, I think in the podcast as well, it was you who uh, said that um, festivals are, are a necessary part of your well-being, and it seems to be something that's come up with the people that you've been um, speaking about. And um, you know, it's it's interesting um, that we have this kind of juxtaposition with the mainstream seeing uh, drug taking as basically the antithesis of looking after your well-being when people who are actually in those communities are saying. Well, no, hang on. This, this is this is part of it. Um, I mean, that it's it's such a uh, it's it's difficult 
and it's difficult for that community. And I guess I'm I'm interested in that in that juxtaposition. Um, have have people uh, been talking a little bit um, about that and how they address that in their own lives? Yeah, so again, that there's so much that we don't know and this project's just starting to uncover. For me, on a very personal level, just to hear that other people have similar situations, similar experiences was quite empowering because this stuff just isn't talked about or discussed. Those So festivals um, in the podcast, I didn't, in, in 20 minutes, but it, it's not just festivals, but and I think lockdown showed us, but there is a necessity for these these times or temporal often times of just alternative ways of thinking doing expressing um so whether that's you know a festival or the nightclub or um facilitated by alcohol drugs or nothing there is this necessity and what drugs or certain drugs do is facilitate those and and that community at a quicker rate potentially um and this this well-being yes yeah, definitely speeding up and this this well-being. I think everyone's assessed that. I think some some way in lockdown, actually, what what is beneficial to my mental health and my, you know, whether that's physical health as well. But um on a personal level, um having taken stuff, it's a reset. And this this concept of reset was quite emergent in the documentary as well as other other work. And actually a reset using chemicals in this way was really beneficial to um mental health as well as kind of physical health. Um and it's it's not that we're advocating everyone should be taking these chemicals, but we we've these chemicals have been in the natural world forever and and people have used them and and experienced them and to have these moments of reset i think yeah um, so somebody and just, lost just the remember, reset button i just remembered somebody in the film said that um she's a healthier person because she's taken drugs so she considers herself to be a healthier person in, in her life because she's taken drugs and uh, i remember doing a screening actually at uh, liverpool john moore's where there was somebody in the audience who had never taking drugs uh, I think maybe not not wasn't even a drinker but she was a big lover of dance floors so we had a conversation a sort of you know a back and forth with her about um you know her, and she she kind of like questioned you know why is it that people should do this if they know it's uh, it's an un- unhealthy thing it's also not a moral thing because you know it's illegal and so on and so forth and I was saying well you know if I hear people talking about how that experience allows allows them to be healthier people, allows them to access something, you know, healthy that that, that contributes positively to what their well being. I I t- I have to take it seriously because that's somebody's experience there. You can't just kind of negate that just because you have a different experience. But somehow, you know, her experience of not being a drug user is is supported by by the kind of like legal and normative structures that we have and therefore becomes the only legitimate experience. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's a in bummer. A, clearly, <laughs> I think MDMA, clearly I think MDMA has some kind of medicinal properties, especially MDMA. Um, in one of the podcasts that we're bringing out today, someone that I was talking with made this point, which is that when ecstasy first started entering uh, cities like Liverpool and Manchester, which are populated um, largely by um, sort of the, the image of manhood there is that this hard, non-talking, non-feeling kind of hard man. You had all of these guys going into clubs and taking this stuff and openly telling each other that they love each other and, and really just sort of letting out conversationally speaking when they never felt like they could do that before and they'd never been given the opportunity or the space or the chemical incentive to actually do that. Um, so clearly there is some kind of ways in which this stuff could contribute to, uh, you know, mental well-being and things like that. Um, so, yeah, it, it altered the fabric of, of those cities in particular in, in quite special ways, I think. In a, in a former life, I um, uh, was working in, in mainstream media and had a, uh, a man who was uh, riding a around Australia, I think, or at least up the East Coast, uh, thousands of kilometres, and he was going through our town, um, came in for an interview to, you know, talk about this wonderful bike ride he was doing. And um, I, I had the voice booth, which was always the, the place that people would come into to tell all their, their secrets. And he told me in there that um, if it wasn't for uh, his use of ecstasy, which uh, he, he said, well, MDMA that he used a lot, um, he said he, he would have 
he would not be here uh, that day, but that wasn't something that he could talk about. And to him, that was one of the pivotal things that actually, uh, you know, saved him basically. Um, but it's it's not an accepted part of the the narrative, <laughs> so he couldn't talk about yeah. that. Yeah, and so um, much in, in this article. Oh, we we just briefly talk about you know how much I'm sure and the others have been influenced. Our own academic practice, our own human beingness, has been influenced by having taken or being recreational drug users. There, there was something I was maybe not clear about in terms of when you filmed this documentary. Were, were you getting these stories during the pandemic era, or did the recording proceed? No, right, okay. it was before, it was before, unfortunately. So we are actually now looking to uh, continue on to uh, do another documentary and get more stories that reflect the experiences of during and post the pandemic. So that's going to be the kind of next thing for people and dance floors. Um, mm. So actually the documentary was Just made... Just people. In- <laughs> no, no, Just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was made in 2019. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, where will it be being broadcast? Is it is it going out into the internet world where Australians can can view it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the documentary will be out. So we, at the moment, we're trying to time it with our first online screening. So the release of the documentary online on our website, uh, peopleanddanceforce.com. Uh, will kind of be timed with our first online screenings. And uh, we're trying to organize more online screenings because we had a, a series of screenings organized uh, for the kind of uh, earlier on in 2020, but obviously we had to cancel them all because of the pandemic and the fact that we obviously couldn't travel and couldn't go places to, uh, you know, because the, the, the main point about the film is to kind of have a big old debate afterwards. So we wanted to to be able to, not just for people to watch it maybe at home as individuals, but also in big, you know, in big rooms with a lot of people so that you can have that discussion afterwards. Uh, so obviously we want to try to kind of maintain that in some form. Uh, which is why we're trying to organize some online screenings. But it will be, it will, we will release it, uh, if not sooner than on the 11th of November, because that's the confirmed online screening that we have set up uh, for, for this, for this, uh, our autumn, your summer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Spring. But yes, yeah, summer starts in December. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Had to think about that for a second. All right, sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm completely off then. <laughs> <laughs> um, something I, I was um, uh, interested in and, uh, as well is, is um, this, again, ju- uh, juxtap- juxtaposing the, the sort of uh, those who um, want to go out and drink alcohol and then those who are using a variety of other uh, chemicals. and um, But then that community is getting the blame but as um anthony said earlier that uh community uh, there, i mean there's plenty of other things going on that are perhaps more likely uh sources of uh spreading um covid it's hard to tell uh, i don't know how the contact tracing is in the uk um but how is self policing this sort of the the behavior <laughs> self policing behavior of um uh of people um at events that have been going on how have people been self-regulated? By self, right? Okay, so by self-policing, do you mean like um, kind of not? You mean like social distancing and wearing masks? So you know what kind of yeah? Yeah, that like sort of thing. what are people's attitudes? Are they taking things seriously so that they can um, continue doing what they love to do? I would say it would depend on the like the environment and the community and the kind of ethos of a particular um, kind of, uh, you know, the, the, the party organizers and like the, the, the environment in which the party happens. Um, as far as I could see from the events that I've like witnessed firsthand, it, it, you know, it, uh, there, was, there wasn't a lot of social distancing and there wasn't a lot of mask wearing. Um, but I'd also say that some events were safer than others in terms of the number of people that they, that they allowed, for instance. And um, so, yeah, so I think I think that it's really like, at least in my experience, uh, it was very difficult to self-police because um, the it's almost the antithesis of what uh, a dance floor on drugs, uh, my experiences of a dance floor on drugs is, which is to be completely free to maybe kind of like um, 
to share a very small space with, you know, with people I don't know and kind of like even dance together. So it's, it's a very difficult thing to impose that social distancing and wearing a mask um, in that space for me personally. But I did wear a mask when I went to the race and it was weird. It was very strange. Yeah. I see you fine. I'd, I'd go back really quickly to the... Sorry, go on. Oh, no, really quickly to the alcohol question. Actually, there's no self-policing going on outside the pub. There's no, you know, in terms of you you can't stop drunk people um, doing or following social distancing measures as much as you can't, you know, but it's it's the, the raves that are getting the worst kind of. There's, um, there's also a, a, a sense, obviously, in which this is being, the whole situation is being politicised. There was a uh, anti-lockdown protest that took place in London this weekend. Uh, and you see the aerial photos and it is very, very large. I mean, it's, it, I think it's in its maybe a thousand, maybe 2000 um, people, obviously not wearing masks, obviously not social distancing, obviously being encouraged by certain prominent uh, members in society, even a lot of musicians uh, doing the rounds on Twitter to talk about how COVID doesn't exist. So um, Noel Gallagher doesn't think it's real. Um, Ian Brown from the Stone Roses took to Twitter and has been taken to Twitter for the past couple of weeks to tell all of his uh, adoring fans not to believe in this uh, pandemic. It's not real. And I'm not sure how much influence Ian Brown's Twitter feed does have on the popular consciousness, but I know there are a bunch of people that probably do take him quite seriously and um, that will have consequences, I think. Also. Meanwhile, I did see a, uh, a short article uh, quoting Carl Cox um, saying, oh, please um, just consider that uh, maybe partying is not the best time to be going out and partying, consider that we're trying to bring this down. What a strange juxtaposition, rock and roll versus uh, techno. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot of uh, older... Um, voices within the techno and also like jungle scene who are uh, coming up coming out and saying to young people you should you know you should wait this is not the time and so on and yeah. so forth but then they're also recognizing or admitting that if they had been like 20 30 years younger they maybe wouldn't have the same like the same attitude or approach so at least they're self-reflective enough to be able to you know, to, to say that much. <laughs> uh, yeah. Now I know, um, Anthony, you have to uh, leave soon. I believe you're off to teach. Um, yes, thank you for reminding me. I'd much <laughs> rather stay here, believe me, but um, <laughs> needs must. So but maybe before um, you leave, are there any uh, uh, final things that you want to uh, share with us? Um, just for people, your listeners, to try and get involved with the project. Like if you have anything you want to do with us and we're a very collaborative people, if you'd like to come on and uh, do become part of, part of one of our podcasts, or if you want to write anything for our blog, we'd love to hear more from your perspective in Australia. Um, and yeah, just come and speak to us, get involved. The website again, people and dance floors, and that's the word and people and dance floors, all one word, dot com, um, where you can find the podcast. You can find the, uh, the, the, sort of the teaser for the documentary two and a half minute teaser and uh, a few other is the is there a blog there as well maybe i missed the blog is the blog there oh yeah yeah there's a blog yeah. I just didn't. <laughs> yes. and we actually have a yep. one of our latest podcasts is coming out later today i think so there's i'll be speaking on a podcast where we reviewed a new bbc podcast series called ecstasy the battle of rave um, which is uh, about the history of acid house culture. So there's me and another person talking about that and reviewing mm -hmm. that um, and basically offering a bit of criticism to that end. So that's going to be going up on the website either today or tomorrow, but watch Excellent. that space and then you'll find it. Double listing. All right. Bye, guys. I've got to go. As well. Thank you very much, Anthony. Thanks, Anthony. <laughs> See you later. Good luck. Bye. And then there were four. Um <laughs> Um, um, Ash, did you? Uh, I've got a, I've got a few other things that I wanted to ask, but uh, Ash, I'll just. I um, well, I probably have to duck off in a minute as well. So um, I, I think I kind of asked all of the questions that I asked. I'm really looking forward to seeing the documentary and, and seeing what comes up. Yeah. 
Yeah, just uh, we're really obviously we're really looking forward to like um, have your um, you know hear your opinions and your reactions to it, and uh, you'd be welcome to sort of share them with us in any in any form because we're really looking we were really looking to. I, to, to have it as a, as a as a debate starter rather than as a as an end narrative you know it's not about providing all the answers or trying to kind of like you know kind of encapsulate the issue in into like a, a thing that and then just give it to people and it's more like let's have a, let's let's talk about these things and let's talk more about these things and there's obviously other things that we could have touched upon and talked about in the documentary which we didn't have the space for so we're wa- we're wanting to expand more because there's all there's all sorts of issues that we didn't focus on. There's one actually I just remember one of the themes that I didn't talk about before, which was uh, uh, people's ability to speak about their drug use um, and dance for experiences uh, with other people. So the questions were around you know who do you talk to about your drug use, and um, in the main there was people talked about how they couldn't necessarily talk about these things at work. They couldn't necessarily talk about these things with their parents. Although there was, interestingly, a difference between the people who talked to their parents who actually went on camera and the people that didn't talk to their parents (laughs) who wouldn't necessarily want to go on camera. So, yeah, so that was also interesting. Oh, just quickly, just just something to reflect on that. The the harm reduction as a process is just what we're all doing in response to COVID. That harm reduction um, isn't entirely linked and connected with drug use, drug users and and intaking of illicit, but wearing a mask is a form of harm reduction and social distancing is a form of washing hands is a form of harm reduction. So in some ways, our spaces or our people that have been, or drug use, recreational drug users that are aware of harm reduction are also aware of, of, you know, the practices of doing it well, doing harm reduction and doing social distancing well and doing, you know, these things well. So I think once once we get back into a field, actually you will find that, you know, people in the scene are more ready to, to do these things or accept these practices in the new normal. Uh, the website, peoplearedancefloors.com uh, for a podcast, a blog and a video um and the documentary which is coming out soon and uh more it's it that's not the end of the project you say it's the beginning of a project um interesting times to have that project and i think it's really important um to have that project going now to keep that conversation going so um well done to both of you and um i look forward to seeing it um is there anything else that you would like to tell us before we finish up this afternoon I just want to thank you, Nick, for giving us the opportunity to come on and talk about it. Because uh, I don't know, maybe hopefully it comes across that we are really passionate, and um, you know, we we really <laughs> we really want to have these conversations, and we want more people to get involved in the conversation. So please do reach out to us, and uh, yeah, just let's just keep the the chats going. And you're also on Facebook and Twitter. So if you happen to be on one of those uh, places, one of those platforms, then connect with people and dance floors there. Thank you, Julia. Thank you, Eve. Thank Thank you, you, Nick. Cheers. And that's about all we have time for this Sunday afternoon. Uh, thanks for joining us and thank you very much to our guests from the People and Dance Floors project at peopleanddancefloors.com. Do go check them out. Um, it's going to be interesting times over the summer, um, waiting to see what dance floors look like around Melbourne and across Victoria um, as we possibly head into a state of COVID normal. Um, also, a quick reminder that tomorrow is uh, the Yarra Drug and Health Forum meeting. It's another online meeting, of course, um, but they're covering um, – it's, it's going to be a really good one actually because um there's been a lot of production i've been involved with um uh with um the production but a big production team for this one we seem to have turned into a a tv channel or something uh so the website is ydhf.org.au going to be looking at a uh, a model of care um that is something you might be implementing in your life or or uh, share with other people so again ydhf.org.au for all the details please join us it's from 12 30 tomorrow um pass it on to your friends uh whoever else might be interested um 
head to the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au, where you can subscribe to our program. You can also subscribe via iTunes and via Spotify. Find us on social media. Get in contact with us if there's something um, that you want to talk with us about. If you're tuned to 3CR, stay tuned for Querying the Air up next. And if you're listening to a podcast, make sure to check out many of the other 3CR programs at 3cr.org.au. Enjoy your Sunday. This is In Psychedelia. For more information, visit InPsychedelia.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. InPsychedelia does not condone or condemn people who use drugs for their choices. Our aim is to present the diverse intersections of psychoactive drugs and society. If you are concerned about your own drug use or a friend's drug use, Direct Line provides a free and confidential counselling service 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Call 1-800-888-236. And Psychedelia will be back on 3CR from 2pm next Sunday. 2pm next Sunday. This has been a 3CR podcast. You can hear In Psychedelia Live every Sunday from 2pm. Head to 3cr.org.au for more.